Also, a shout out to our good friends at Kinetico. You already know how much the Shirk family loves Connecticut water. We have it in our home, and this past summer, we added it to our cabin. And oh, what a difference it has made. Really, for as long as I can remember, we have always dealt with cabin water, the stinky, foul well water. But after a really painless four-hour installation, we now have Connecticut soft water and Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make coffee in the morning before fishing. We have great water right out of our K5 tap. Also, our laundry no longer smells funky, and the Connecticut water cleaned up our showers and dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. I am hanging out with my co-host today, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. We're going to do a little host chat catch up. I haven't uh, seen you for a little while, so it's nice to be back face to face. We're actually in the office doing the podcast. How are you? I'm great. I've been a traveling man and you've been a traveling lady. That is true. I'm actually traveling again tomorrow, heading to Hawaii. Uh, to the island of Kauai. I've always week. wanted to tell you this, but you suck. Well, you know what? You gave me some great <laughs> advice the last time I went to Hawaii, Bill. Don't come home. <laughs> <laughs> that was true. But it was, and now is it, what is the food that I'm supposed to be eating? It's poi? Poi. Yes. And what is it made out of again? What root vegetable? Is it a root vegetable? It's, I, I don't, yes, it's some sort of root, but it's just awful. It's like, so bad. I wasn't abused as a child. Instead, I had to eat poi when I was in Hawaii, and it's just impacted me ever since. <laughs> well, that's like me and Lutefiske or it's like oyster eating, stew, two childhood things. I don't know what my parents are thinking. Just so water disgusting. down some Play-Doh. It's exactly what it tastes like. And get some chips and just go to town. So the last or the first time I was in Hawaii, I had not been there before, which was just a few years ago, you were telling me like you have to order poi it's so good it's cultural it's just like you know the hawaiian thing to do and sure enough um i did order some of that and that's when i was screaming your name being like this is really gross <laughs> it does t- it tastes i don't know what it tastes like it's like salt and like play-doh if you yeah. were to eat it the Ugh. smell of play-doh it's horrible anyway Ugh. um so do you have Trips coming up? Are you doing a spring break or what's, what's your plan? So you're going to Hawaii this yes. week and I am going to muck into the remote woods with the Shirk Boys this weekend. Ooh. They have snowshoes, they've built polk sleds, and they're going off the grid on their first hardcore winter trip, which we are shooting for Minnesota Bound. Nice. Now, is it raining there right now as it is here in the Twin Cities? It's downpouring rain. Yeah, let's paint a picture. It's 36 degrees. We have two feet of snow on the ground, and it is pouring rain, like a midsummer storm. And yes, it is raining up there, and then it's going to transition to snow. And two days from now, they are talking 10 below zero. Really? And it was just like 46 degrees there, like literally this week. So what are conditions going to be like back there? Yeah, a lot of ice. Ice, maybe? So 
are, are your boys looking forward to this? Because this is your passion, your winter camping. Um, it's your passion too. You it just is. don't know it well, yet. Well, I don't have the right equipment. Right. And I have been thoroughly impressed by Bill's ability to, you know, transform my opinion on winter camping because you have set up the winter canvas. It's not called a tent. What is it called? Is yeah, it is it a tent? Tent. Um, and then you have a new you have a new tent set up this year, which is going to work better for you. And it is so cozy and warm once you get that wood stove going. Mm-hmm. It's really lovely. Mm-hmm. I don't care how much it rains. I don't care how much it snows. If you have wood and you have that wood stove going, you are just immune. Now, it's cheating because I grew up not having those resources. It was all about cold camping and managing moisture and boots freezing at night and all that stuff. But yeah, so is it cheating? This is easy. Because now you're sounding like grandfather like i had to walk 10 miles to school boys and you got a nice and warm i feel like it's it just feels a little bit does it <laughs> too easy at times well, you have to get, get your own food right you ice fishing for so we're gonna do a little ice fishing we got a tip on a walleye like i've always said nice. people who are looking for fishing advice they need to call their local fisheries office because Smart. people are sitting in there with their feet on a desk hoping they get to talk to somebody. So I talked to the folks up north, and they said, yeah, we have a 25-acre lake that right now has one of the highest concentrations of walleyes in the state of Minnesota. Awesome. So we're going to go and test that theory. That is very cool. So how many miles are you hiking back into the Boundary Waters to get to your spot? or your? So first off, winter camping is measured differently. Sure. Right? Um, a lot of people who visit the Boundary Waters during the summer and paddle say, oh, that's our favorite lake. We're going to go winter camp there. Well, you might be able to paddle, whatever, 15 miles a day with four portages mixed in there. A few miles during the winter. It's a lot. Gets you to where you need to be. Yeah, it's just, it's much slower. It's much more uh, grueling. Energy consuming too. So you just have to measure differently. Long story. So with the boys to go a mile or a mile and a half, that's a big adventure for little legs. So we're going to keep it easy. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, That's great advice is fatherly advice of, of bringing kids into a new adventure of some sort is you don't overdo it. Like the first time in or the first experience, even with fishing. Right. You know, you're going to stay out here eight hours until we catch so many is a great way to ruin someone's delight in, in that type of adventure. So the starting boys, it out. The boys are well, 11 and 14. One will be 12 while we are in the woods. So we're going to celebrate a so birthday cool. off the grid. But over the past 10 years, if I were to look at our family budget for ice cream and treats based on these kinds of trips, like it's substantial. <laughs> Good <laughs> old bribery. Yeah. So are you speaking of like treats and things like that? I know, you know, you burn a lot more calories when you're out in those cold temps and you're moving around and your body's trying to stay warm. Do you bring certain types of food with you? Winter camping? Yes. A little higher fat content, yep. calorie content. Is it's, it peanut peanut M&Ms? What's your go-to? So it's interesting. We just aired an episode a few weeks back of one of our winter trips from last year. And we had some of the toughest conditions I've ever tackled like waist-deep snow in spots. 
pulling a hundred pound sled solo. It was tough. And as part of that episode, there was a little clip of me working on breakfast and we had a bunch of people buzz in and say, what's the recipe? What were you making? And it's actually born out of a, a restaurant on the North shore called the Lockport, which is a gas station slash general store slash bakery slash four table restaurant. The food is all homemade and epically good, but they do these granola pancakes. And so I started cheating and trying to do my own recipe. So really it's just pancake mix with granola, or you can use instant oatmeal. Oh, sure. And you start mixing cinnamon and blueberries and apple. And you can come up with some pretty darn good recipes, but it's high carb. You know, you tend to do high fat. The old explorers, you joked about it just before we started this episode, but stick of butter. Right? Yeah. You know, our biggest adventurers here in Minnesota would eat butter. That's right. And that's still a trick at night. Hot chocolate with a quarter slab of butter melted in it. It actually sounds really good. Because that fat runs your machine and running your machine keeps you warmer. That's true. Well, fat metabolizes way slower than carbs do. So to have that at night is is really smart. I'm living it. <laughs> what are you talking about? You look great. The, um, but yeah, I was, you know, when you have to think about those things, when you start to do an adventure deep into the woods or wherever you're going, I'm always surprised if I'm on a hike, I was hiking in Sedona a few years ago and don't ask me why, but it was a college girlfriend of mine wanted to go. And so I went and she was, it was June, not really the most ideal time to be in Sedona. I'll just tell you, cause it's basically 95 to hundred at five in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> so it's right, terrible. Right. So we did, we get up at four before the sunrise. You got to be out there because by 9am you're not surviving in this heat. And we would be out and, you know, I would have multiple packs of water plus putting even salt, plain salt, sea salt in your water, Himalayan salt with has minerals in it. Um, because some of these hikes are very extensive whoa, 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 whoa. in your Slow down. What did you just say? Put salt in your water. I, there's, it's called Redmond's Real Salt. So Redmond's is a um, salt mine in Utah, and their salt has all the mineral content. Like using like iodine salt, that table salt doesn't have, they strip out the minerals in it. So if you use like Himalayan sea salt, um, you know, your body is really actually likes salt. It's made from a lot of salt. That's what help, helps you retain water in your cells, intracellular water. So I, that would be my tip is you can add salt to your water and relight, which is by Redmond's sea or salt mines in Utah. They add a little flavor to it. There's lemon in there. You can get a mango flavor, whatever. Um, but that is a really good hydrator. I'm having, are you, are you lost for words right now? I'm having fits <laughs> because I, you may or may not know this about me, but when I was much, much younger in my teens, I was a long distance biker. Cool. I did not know uh, that about you as part of our scout troop. So we would do these 110 mile Saturday training sessions. And back then Gatorade wasn't a thing, but there was something called Gookinade. And still look it up, Gookinade. Engineer Brandon went right to his yeah. computer. <laughs> and it was like drinking warm. Salt water. Cherry flavored urine. Oh, 
how do we get to the word urine on this? Like, how do you know what that Simple. tastes you like? You started talking about putting salt <laughs> in your drinks. And so you'd be on your bike. I mean, I thought ocean, you could use ocean. degrees and you don't keep water bottles on bikes cold. That's true. Oh, it's just, again, more memories. But, but yes, the point is it had high salt content and hopefully it was the right kind of salt because your body just purges it. It does. And it does in the wintertime too. You don't realize when you're just out in the cold because just because you're not sweating a ton or maybe you are, but that the salt will help you retain all that internal hydration that you need. All right. So we'll be eating butter in the woods. Love it. Buried in a snow drift. You'll be in Hawaii. We're going to do some hiking, I believe. I actually looked up, you know, I I've have this passion of adding on some sort of um, outdoor adventure when we go on vacations, et cetera. And um, I have not been to the island of Kauai. So I was looking up what their turkey hunting season is. I thought that would be kind of fun. It's not, unfortunately, open at the time we're there. It opens, like, I think shortly after. But um, I'm not. I looked up some deep, deep sea fishing. For me, I'm pretty sensitive to swells. And I always feel like that's just, you know, you're gambling. with your, You're going to pay the guide. And you just don't know you could come out with nothing and be seasick all day. So, and it's been really windy where we're going. I'm like, mm, this is that why scares you me. You are a television writer. Your your prowess with words is so good. What did I say? I'm sensitive to swells. So you puke <laughs> in rough seas is what you're saying. Like that's how I see it. You know, I would like to refer to it as a sensitivity. <laughs> I know it's it's incredible. It sounds so romantic when you say it. <laughs> It uh, is nothing romantic same, about that at all. I am You're the right. same way. Oh. I get so seasick. And normally that means you have very good hand-eye coordination. Does it? It does. I used to get very sick growing up. And we had a Vietnam veteran. He was a helicopter pilot from Vietnam who was a fishing guide on Lake Superior. And I was Sick as a dog, and the lake didn't look very rough at all. But he was talking about part of their training um, to fly the helicopters was the hand-eye coordination thing, and that was one of the symptoms. People who would get very seasick or airsick a lot of times had very good hand-eye coordination. It had something to do with the inner, inner ear, ear and all that. That's fascinating. So... There you go. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll stick to playing darts and catching, maybe play tennis when I'm in Kauai for the hand-eye coordination instead of going How many times fishing. are you going to go there, take some Dramamine, and go have some fun? I know. Yeah, well, they had some. You can do a kayak trip into, um, into see some waterfalls and some, you know, a very peaceful river that, of course, goes out to the ocean. But if you go the other way, you go into kind of the rainforest area. So wow. we haven't, like, fully laid out the plan yet um but it might just be more of a a hiking type adventure we like to get out of the hotel and apparently Kauai is one of the most beautiful islands of all the islands so they're poised we will see is, is it even better way yes. above average. <laughs> i will tell you see this is learn about bill podcast episode today from 1979 to 1981 the shirks lived in california in the silicon valley um had my you dad, only kept that piece of property. My dad was a computer, <laughs> you know, oh, wizard. Nice. But we took a trip to Hawaii at that point. I'll never forget. We got to fly Western Airlines. 
and we went to Kauai. And at the time, I was a bit of a bodyboarder. Oh, sure. So on Poipu Beach, some of the biggest waves I had ever seen in that world, there's something called reef rash, which is you get barreled over in the wave and it slams against the bottom and you rub up against the reef and you get all these scratches and all the stuff in the reef infects it. And I got just wicked reef rash in Kauai. Because the waves are so big there. I can. This is why we don't go into swells. And I can remember it was like it was yesterday. I was on the bottom. I was laying there. I actually saw a surfer paddle past me, like up above above me to my left paddle by. And I eventually came up. My board was off. My leash was broken. The board was up on the beach. And my mom was standing on the beach. I was like, was she panicking at this point? Freaking out. And they put me like in a timeout. Like you don't get to go back in the water. Which, to a kid who's growing up and loves this stuff, pretty insulting moment. But You're like, what? Yes, yeah, there you go. Yes, it'll I'm be jealous. good. A little, a little sun, a little R and R. Might be a little rain, but that's okay. It'll be liquid sunshine at that point. Amazing. So, have you had any um, spectacular? You've been off traveling, capturing stories, and other winter adventures. Um, listeners may not know that. We're not always together when we're out adventuring. You go out and capture your stories. I go out and capture mine. Um, so what, did you have a favorite that you've had this far this winter? Oh, gosh. We've been all over the place. Last week, we were in Wisconsin. Uh, met a couple who lives in the woods, the Booten families. Um, excuse me, Bouton. Bouton. Um, and Jim and his wife uh, are kind of at that retired age. He was a lifelong plumber, um, actually lost everything in 2008 when the economy went to pot. So they ended up in the woods over there. They retired. He now makes copper sculptures of fish and birch bark trees. It is really intriguing work, and they are just a fun couple. Um, So we had a great day with them. We also went over to Big Stone Lake, which is over on the border of South Dakota, and did a little perch fishing over there. Nice. Had a little bit of an adventure. So, lots going on right now. Hi there. Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. 
Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. We'd like to thank the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, right now, the History Forum is back at the Minnesota History Center. Since 2004, the History Forum has explored American history with some of the nation's very best scholars. That tradition now continues in 2023 with five events highlighting the diversity and excellence of today's historical scholarship. In-person and virtual tickets are available at mnhs.org slash history forum. Last week, I was out with the Minneapolis Ski Jumping Club. And I saw a video online today of that. Did you? Oh, my Can you believe that? Gosh. I, this club. Olympic ski jumps. Yes. The club has been around since 1926. They will be celebrating their 100th year, obviously, in two years. But I, you know, you drive past that ski jump. It's right off of 494 in Bloomington. If you've been in the metro area, you probably have seen it. I think it's interesting that Minnesota, that we even have one, let alone that this club has been here for this long. And meeting the jumpers, A, they're the club coaches and everybody, they're so nice and so fun. Are they adults? Are they kids? They are adults. So they offer classes for kids and actually adults if you want to learn how to do ski jump. And I actually went off this a ski jump. And I will explain that in a minute because I was terrified. <laughs> but they they said there are typically two types of people that get into ski jumping. And you're either a very cerebral type of person or you are kind of like the adrenaline junkie kid that no fear person. And what was interesting is the three people that we were with, the three jumpers that are jumping off the Olympic one, um, fit that profile perfectly. Two of them, very quiet, extremely introverted, and they're flying off this jump. And the other one, very outgoing, like, you know, probably would be a base jumper, you know, right? So, but what's fascinating is by the time they get to that Olympic jump they will have to have jumped probably 500 to a thousand times off the smaller jumps before they're ready for that is there a series kind of each jump gets a little yes. higher so they start you off on a jump that probably is like 12 inches but which is the one that i tried and you know i've been a downhill skier my whole family we I was fortunate enough that my parents taught us how to ski. I always say that's such, such a blessing to learn that skill because it's a lifelong skill. And I was skiing. I had skied twice this winter, so I felt like, you know, I've got my ski legs. Um, and when they asked at the end of the day if I wanted to try the beginner jump, I was like, sure. However, your skis, well, first let me just, the jump is ice. It's not snow. They basically pack on snow, and then they add gallons of water and let it freeze. So you're going down an ice luge, let's be honest. It's not a, a snow jump. And the skis, of course, are very long, wide, and the boots 
are so different than a downhill ski boot because so they gave you gear to use. You yes, did, you they didn't have show all up of it. in your Solomon. Yeah, no. like I'm ready to go. <laughs> not at all. Um, I did not put on the slick suit. Um, that would have been epic. I just had my own little down jacket on, which is fine. So I'm going off the kids' jump, right? But, um, and but the boots are so strange because they have a really tall. Um, you know, the boot is really tall because you have to lean, you're supposed to lean into it. So it's extremely stiff. So even walking in it is almost impossible. Mm. And they put your, your, your bindings are actually like they hammer you into the ski. So you're almost feeling like, oh my gosh, if I wipe out the ski staying on, but whatever. And they basically start you off just on top of a hill and kind of push you down. And you have to get into like the ski jump position, which is basically a squat with your hands basically vertically going backwards towards your squat. Wow. But you always have to, he's like, whatever you do, don't look down. He's like, that's when you're going to crash. You have to just keep looking forward. I'm like, okay, that's famous last words, but I'm going to do that. So I, I go down the hill and he pushes you down and, and there's not really an edge on these skis. So you try to snowplow as you get down towards the end and someone's actually down there to catch you because you almost don't have an edge on it to stop, but you try snowplowing a little bit, you're fine. And then um, they take you to the, the, the little jump. And it's terrifying. I mean, you because th- your sure. skis are in this ice luge, sure. and it's still just oh, you think it's only twelve inches, but you know that you don't really have an edge. You can't really like do a turn if you want to, so you just gotta go for it. And um, anyway, so I did that. It was incredible. But going back to and I landed it. Yeah. They, and he just said, he's like, you can't. He's did like, they if you measure can take, in inches? Feet, he said he, he said he was going to give me about eight feet on that one, which was like no not kidding. really that much. But you don't, you feel like you're just, it looks terrifying because the jump and then there's like kind of flat land and then it goes down. So right. you feel that I could just wipe out at any moment. And I'm, you know, thinking about, oh, my, you know, dental plan. Um, <laughs> am I going to crash my teeth? You're so you. I know. <laughs> Anyway, and once you're like going off of it, I think it's all instinctual. Your body just takes over and it kind of launches you a little bit. You can't, it barely feels like you're really doing anything, jumping anything. So you're like, okay. Um, but when you start taking the climb, I did not do the Olympic size jump, obviously. They said it's 500 to 1,000 jumps before you're heading that direction, which I'm like, thank goodness. But you have, as a ski jumper, you have these boots, which you can barely walk in. You have to carry your skis and you're going up hundreds of steps to the top. And, you know, the, just the cardio conditioning, but they stay stoically calm as they're climbing these steps. There's no emotion. It's just totally concentration. And at the bottom of the jump, there is their coach and the coach is there and he's been a ski jumper, which is interesting. All the coaches are generational. Like they've been, they grew up there jump, ski jumping as kids. Their dad were ski jumpers. And so they have this really cool community. And he's out there and it's pretty cold. We had 20 mile an hour wind gusts that day, which is like borderline. You shouldn't even be jumping. And he's out there, no gloves, which reminded me of you because you're a no glove person. I don't know how you do it. But he said, I have to feel the wind. Oh boy. And there are windows, short windows, where these people are allowed to, to go off the jump. Yep. And if you miss the window, like, it's not so good. Like, the wind can take you sideways, can make you crash, because these gusts are coming. And he literally watches. He's not watching the wind flags. He's watching the trees, like, down the way. 
and he understands the timing of how the wind works. And then he starts feeling it with his hands. And all of a sudden he goes, Hip! and then here goes person down the thing and flying through the air. Um, and one of the gentlemen, Patrick, he uh, was from Sweden originally. And ski jumping is very big in that um, country. And he got here and he wanted to learn how to do this sport. And he joined the club in 2002. And he is 55 years old. Not that that is old, but to be launching yourself off an Olympic ski jump at 55 is incredible. You did it. Okay. I went off the, first of all, I'm not 55. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just clear that up right now. (laughs) Second, I went off the child's jump. Okay. Doesn't matter. I still was really proud of myself. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there were 20 mile an hour wind gusts. It was dangerous, people. Super dangerous. Is this jump, by the way, on video? You know what? That I it's not because here's what happened. I was filming on my phone, of course, of the other jumpers going off, but we have Scott was with me, photographer here, and he's busy doing his thing. The coach is busy coaching me. And the young lady at the very end, she has to stay at the like way far end to catch me. Cause again, you don't have an edge to stop yourself. So there's nobody to film, to film me going off the baby jump. Cause it probably would have been really funny. Cause of course it feels like you're like, ah, and it was probably looked like nothing. Right. <laughs> However, they will teach you. Like if you want to get together with your friends or bring your kids over, they have a learn to fly program. And their kids' classes are, like, every Saturday. But if you're, like, wanted just to get together with buddies that are skiers, you should probably know how to downhill ski at least mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, they offer a class. You can just hire them to take you out on a Thursday night, and they'll just teach you how to jump. Isn't that cool? I just think it's unbelievable because, like you, I've driven by that ski jump for, you know, 50 years of my life. Yeah. Uh, 55 is in your case. But but every time you go to the airport, what do you see? The ski jump. Every time you fly into the Twin Cities, what do you see? The ski jump. It's just this landmark. So it is. Super story. um, It's actually a little bit in danger of being shut down. So all the coaches there are all volunteer. All the money raised is all like nonprofit. They raise it to help you know, they have to make obviously improvements on that ski jump. That ski jump itself is the oldest thing on their little piece of land, believe it or not. And they're making improvements all the time. They built one of the coaches, coach Chris built the little chalet by himself. So it's literally like a passion project for all of the coaches and no one's getting paid a cent and they're doing this to keep, and they had 10, they've had 10 Olympians come out of their ski club over the years. That's like really cool. So I hope that, you know, the park districts and the ski jump club, they can figure something out to keep that going. Cause that's actually a pretty cool, iconic thing to have in our state. Such a great story for you to get. Yeah, some, it was fun. Sometimes the best ones are right in front of us, right? I know. So true. So true. When you pitched that, I kind of went, well, duh. Yeah. I, I, why did I think I know. of that? It was it just, yeah, it was just I, driving by and I'm like, um, and a lot of times you hear, oh, that's shut down. That's old. They don't even use it anymore. And that's actually not the case. Yeah. And they, they'll jump all the way through, you know, March sometime if they keep the ice, if it stays cold enough because it's, you know, just ice. Wow. But it's wild. The, the sound of the ski skier flying through the air right off the jump. It's like, <laughs> yeah, 
Cool. When I was a very young newscaster, I was working in Duluth. And the station had a cheap ploy because their signal leaked out across Lake Superior into the UP. And so for sweeps, they said, you should go to the UP and tell a bunch of stories because then we'll get a bunch of viewers and we'll be even more famous than we already are. So one of the stories I told, in the UP, there's a, it's not a ski jump. It is a ski flying hill, which is kind of like ski jumps on steroids. Oh, wow. And Copper, Copper Mountain, I think it's called. So in the spring, I actually climbed that thing abandoned in my little Sears business suit and my Dexter <laughs> wingtips as a young journalist like to get the shot yep. on top of the ski flying hill. So your slippery loafers. Oh my gosh. It, you know, the woods all worn out on the stairs yeah. and cracked and but it's still around and there's talk that they'll reopen it. And for those people where the ski jumping wasn't enough of a thrill, you know, they wow. had another whatever. 100 feet and jump 12 stories and it's just i don't know i'm not wired that way i have a wild streak but that's not no i know you know i'm kind of like anti-acl injury with skiing like anything that that is your knee anything like that i was so that's i think what's got me a little bit going down that baby jump Mm -hmm. but i survived it a 12 inch jump on (laughs) ice is i asked scott i was like was that epic Oh no! I was looking the other way. He was I didn't like, shoot it. "Yeah, he was. Yeah, exactly." He was like, "Yeah, I mean, it was all right." All right. So, so you've got ski jumps. What else is going on? You go to Hawaii. I, I went winter fly fishing in Big Mo- Big Sky, Montana. That was my first time doing that. That was totally just for fun. Um, did you that catch was, anything? I did. I caught a really nice brown trout. I learned a lot of interesting lessons about winter fly fishing. Uh, one, it's not for the faint of heart, just with the amount of how cold it is. You are very cold tolerant. I am not. Um, anytime we're shooting wraps, ladies and gentlemen, Bill is outside and it could be like 10 degrees in the wintertime and he has no gloves on. And I am like, I have hand heaters, not only my mittens, my feet, around my waistband. I probably have 20 of them all wrapped around <laughs> hidden in places to keep me warm. Um, so it's, it's cold. Your, you know, your feet get really cold just by being in the water and your hands have to, you know, you need yeah. your fingers exposed and they're freezing. But, um, and the bite, I did not know this, is so delicate. I'm sure you do know this, obviously. You do a lot of fly fishing. Uh, it's so delicate in the winter because the trout aren't as aggressively feeding right. that you can basically cannot tell if you have a fish on the end of your line. It is so difficult. You're so not, when I caught the one, I was like almost in tears. I'm guessing you were nymph fishing versus dry flies. Yes. Which means. Yes, I had an indicator. Yeah. A bug down, you know, three feet down in yes. the water. And you've got, don't call them bobbers in fly fishing. They're strike indicators. Yes, yes. And you see any unusual movement to that thing. Oh, I was setting the hook all day long. Because, of course, you hit the bottom. The indicator's moving. And you're like, bing. Um, so it was, it was really cool. I mean, the scenery is so stunning. Um, I was on the Gallatin river. Uh, I did find out that a river runs through it was filmed on the Gallatin river. Um, and big sky is really cool. Have you been to big sky? I have. It's really cool. And the locals are there always like 
don't tell other people about Big Sky. Because yep. <laughs> they don't want any more people coming out. But it is really a cool spot. I loved it. I don't want to give away secrets, but that's the total stereotype of those people because they're the first ones to tell you about Big Sky. Oh, really? And the galley. <laughs> they call it the galley. I fish the East Galley. The galley. Well, you even driving galley? driving in from the airport, you of course, you land in Bozeman, but you yeah. follow the Gallatin the whole way in. You follow it and take a right. Go so to stunning. Yeah. And we saw just on the drive-in, a moose was just munching away on a tree branch. On the, and I'd never seen a moose in person before. So that was so cool, but you can't stop because everything's like, you know, single, single, not aisle, whatever, road. And, um, and then we saw big horned sheep right next to the road, bald eagles everywhere. I'm like, wow, this is like a really, really cool spot. So it was cool. A lot of ice on the line when you fly winter fly fishing yep. and taking a lot of stops, but um, a lot of good moments, good learning lesson of how to have a little grit out there. So, and it's um, different it was water from here too. Yeah. The current is a lot more dangerous and especially in the winter i mean you're God, walking in the snow and waders ski jumping whitewater rapids in the winter like well don't you find this I is like what i think the new you well you know i feel like i love trying new new things some people love like they are tried and true i duck hunt and that's what i do or whatever which is great but for me, I love like trying new things as it's like you learn something each time. But there's something about like your winter camping for you. I'm guessing this might do this. It's about when you push yourself to a certain edge or a certain limit mm -hmm. where things are mentally challenging, physically challenging. There is something I believe that's like written in your DNA code that you're meant to work hard for happiness like that. Really, you come out of there feeling this euphoric joyfulness mm -hmm. because I think humans are meant to have to have to, to work hard at something. So our director of photojournalism, Aaron Ochtenberg shoots all those almost exclusively. And at the end of the trip, when we are finally back out and we are standing behind a vehicle and we unbuckle our harnesses and the sleds off, the first thing we do we grab each other and we have this giant man hug. It's awesome. And that's what it's about. Like we did it again. Yeah. It's that moment. And it makes you like so thankful for even like little things like a hot shower. Yep. Like those, it actually just flips your mind, your thinking and your mind frame of, of just being that 10% happier if it is. Yep. All the newbies I take out about day two, there's that moment. Because it's all about, oh gosh, can I do this? Uh, the cold, it's going to be awful. I did. There are all these concerns. And about day two, I've seen it so many times in my life. You look out at that person and you go, yep, the switch flipped. And they're walking around in a light sweatshirt. And it's five degrees and windy in winter camp. And you go, hey, Chris. What's going on over there? And you, you kind of point it out and they go, son of a gun. Yeah. It happened, right? There are all these, it's a mindset, but to your point, yes, your body just sort of follows. It's yep. not awful. It's not terrible. You know, even, I mean, we were downhill skiing two weeks ago and 27 below zero and everyone's saying the same thing. Oh, you can't do that. It's impossible. They make gear for it, and it's just not a big deal. Yeah. Go out and ski. Totally. So, 
I don't. Yep, you are right. Uh, well, is we, that we get through all the snow, and then in March, the shirks we head to Pensacola, and I hope I get oh. sunburned and nice. we're gonna fish for redfish, and yeah, so lots going on. That sounds fabulous. Well, I think that was that a wrap on our our Minnesota Bound podcast for the day. Have it, the time flies, you know, when we're hanging out. Just whew. you fly. <laughs> I did last week. You're right. I know. A whole 10 feet. I'm very grounded. You notice it just went from 8 to 10. <laughs> meters. Meters. 8 meters. It's probably 8 inches as far as how far I made it on the ski jump. Well, it's fun to catch up. Have a great time in Hawaii. You know, these are our little moments where you and I actually get to sit and forget about work and just That's true. chat a little bit. Yes. So. Well, need to thank a few of the sponsors that help make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen each week. Of course, the stories behind the stories brought to you by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. Also, the Minnesota Historical Society, the Minnesota Propane Association, and Star Bank. Until next week, what do we always say? Don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.